Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We consider it an honor to host you. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or on Instagram. Now let's get ready for the message. Amen. Come on, give it up for our veterans. The Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. Amen. We celebrate you. We honor you. Thank you for your service. Um, Let me just reiterate what PK said. It's an honor to have you in the house today. So excited about the series we've been in on the blessing. Um, This is actually week number three of the series, and we're going to close it out today. Um, we, we've been talking about this, and we do it every November, where we take the time to talk about finances and stewardship, tithes, offering, generosity, all the things that um, the Bible says about giving and what that means, and we never do it as a knee-jerk reaction. It's always very much planned out, strategic. Uh, We're not doing this because we need something from you or a bill that we need to go pay. Uh, How many know that that giving and the the area of finances, this is a major part of our discipleship, that it's a part of God's development in us as we learn the principles. And so in the very first week, um, I did something I don't think I've ever done with this series. Um, The first message, I did even talk about money. Uh, We talked about the Father's blessing and how that before there was original sin, there was original blessing. Uh, We saw in scripture that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them uh, in his image after his likeness. And the first act of God was he blessed them. So God's heart is to bless you. And I felt like I would be doing you a disservice if I taught you principles that could bring financial blessing into your life, but not tell you about the original blessing. Uh, because the truth is, is you can do the financial principles and not even know Jesus and get the blessing from the financial Uh, principles that you are doing, but miss out on the best blessing is knowing how much the Father loves you and how much his heart is to bless his people. Anybody thankful that God wants you blessed? It's a powerful thing. And so last week we talked about the gateway to blessing. We introduced tithes um, and we learned that generosity doesn't even begin till after we have brought the tithe. And so we don't pay tithe, we bring it. Everybody say we bring it. All right, we don't pay it, Um, you know, it's not uh, something that, it's not like um, the Moose Lodge dues or anything like that, country club dues. Um, The tithe is not out of obligation, it's out of revelation. I'm I'm not paying it, I am bringing it. Uh, And so it's a big difference. Today I want to talk to you about breaking the curse, breaking the curse, and I'm going to get to some heavy scriptures, but before I do that, I just want to set it up a little bit. We know that Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject except for faith. He talked about faith the most, but number two on the list, more than prayer, more than heaven, more than hell, a lot of things that that we think are really important, and they are, he talked about money more than most of those things. And the reason is because Jesus knew something that we often forget is that sometimes the number one competitor for our heart is money. Um, it, it, it competes for our attention. I mean, what else do you trade time for? 
You know, it's, you know, you give time to, to get a paycheck. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks about hard work and the importance of it. And so uh, it, it competes. But I want, I want people to know, because a lot of times we grew up in churches um, that taught us uh, having money is, is evil. But how many of you understand money is amoral, which means that it's not good or evil? Money simply takes on the personality of the person who has it. And so if you put money in an evil person's hands, then they're going to do evil with the money. But if you put money in, in, in a righteous person's hands, they do good with it. And so we understand that concept. Uh, the Bible also teaches us that we are to bring the tithe into the storehouse, the local church. And the Bible says, I love how it uses bring the whole tithe. Everybody say whole tithe. The reason I find that interesting is because some people will give 2% and write tithe on it. Smile if you're under the mask. Like, you know, it's not a tithe unless it's a tenth, right? Unless it's 10%. Not only does it have to be 10%, it has to be brought first. And so um, it's where the rubber meets the, ro the road. Uh, a lot of times, though, what happens is, is the more money we make, the harder it is for us to be obedient. And so if we make 10 bucks, we don't have a problem giving God a dollar. You know, it's a dollar. So we, we're cool. But, but if we make $100,000, now all of a sudden that's $10,000 I'm going to bring to God. And I don't know that I can give, you know, or bring 10000 to God. And, and, and statistics have proven the more we make, the less of a percentage we actually give. Um, the more prosperous we become, the harder it is for people to bring the whole tithe. Um, but I want to encourage you to be, be faithful in the small things. That, that if you just you know, graduated high school and you got your first job, maybe it's a minimum wage job, be faithful, bring the tithe at that level. And if God promotes you to be a millionaire, bring the tithe at that level. Because what we have to understand is whether the tithe is 10 bucks or a million dollars, how many know it's the same percentage? Watch this. And the same blessing is attached to the person who brought a million that's tithe as the person who brought one dollar that's tithe. The same blessing is attached to both people. The tithe is the same for everyone. So uh, you need to think of your income kind of like this. Um, we, we have income, but we have pieces of our income. We'll call it pieces of the pie that we're responsible for. And so we can take a piece of the pie to take care of our housing situation, maybe rent, a mortgage company, whatever that looks like. A piece of the pie is going in that, that direction. Maybe a piece of the pie is going towards a car payment or a student loan that we're paying back. Uh, for, for me, um, half the pie goes to the kids. Come on, somebody. Um, I'm kidding, but not really, but you know what I mean. Uh, a, a large percentage of the pie goes there. Uh, and I think what happens with a lot of believers, it's not that they start out not wanting to bring God what belongs to him, but they, they take care of the mortgage company, the car payment, the student loan, the kids, and, you know, I got to have clothes, and the mall don't just hand stuff over. You know, I have, I have to pay for it. And then we come to church, and we think, what do I have left? And that is the first problem. We start with all these other areas, and God doesn't even consider it tithe unless it's 10% and, and it's first. 
So I don't start with the mortgage. I don't start with Kroger. I don't, I don't start in those areas. I start with God. And so we come, and then when we bring God leftovers, what happens is we start uh, saying things like, I can't afford to do this. And the devil gets involved and says, you're right, you can't afford to do this because you didn't start with the tithe. But when we tithe, we are, we are actually bringing something that already belongs to God. And it's a reminder to all of us that everything we have, and just in case you have forgotten, I want you to know everything you have came from God. You say, well, pastor, no, no, no. I work real hard for my money. Okay, that's cool, but who, who do you think gave you the knowledge, the wisdom, the energy, the capacity to go out and do what you're doing? How many of you understand everything you have came from God, including the energy you use to get a paycheck or build a business? God gave you that. And so the tithe helps me to remember that and to acknowledge that. And when I don't, when I get upside down, I talk myself out of it. And then the devil gets involved. John chapter 8 verse 44 says this about the devil. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. One of the major areas that the enemy wants to lie to you about is the area of finances. He wants to lie to you and say it's no big deal and, and God's really not going to bless you. He, he will bring a ton of lies into your life. But look at what Jesus said very specifically about money. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon, or some translations say, you cannot serve God and money. Money is one of the biggest challenges that we all face. And Jesus knew it would be a challenge. So he didn't say you can't serve God and sex. He didn't say you, you can't serve God and, and, and your own attitude. He said you can't serve God and money. Why, why does he do it? Because we struggle with the concept of money. Where our treasure is, our heart will be there also. Your money and your heart are always in the same place. Always in the same place. They are completely connected. And so what I want to do now is I want to transition a little bit to first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. All right, this concept of first fruits is not just an Old Testament principle. We see it all throughout Scripture, including the New Testament, but it was a part of what ancient Israel would bring to God. They brought to God the first fruits. Now, if you know the story, they, they, they were slaves for over 400 years in Egypt. And God delivered them out of bondage. And what I love about that story is not only did he deliver them out of Egyptian bondage for 400 years, but they came out with all the silver and the gold. How many thankful that God can bring you out and bless you at the same time? So they came out not empty-handed. They came out loaded down with everything that the Egyptians had. They came out, and, and here's what God did. He, he began to establish some covenant laws with them about the concept of first fruits. And it says in Exodus 23, 19, God said, bring the best. Everybody say, the best. All right? Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And so... Let's stop here and understand they had an agricultural economy. 
They planted gardens. They raised cattle. They did not work in an air-conditioned office. They, what, whatever they were going to eat and whatever the harvest was, they had planted. They had worked for it. And, and so their income was based on the level of harvest that would come in. Now, God said, what I want you to do is when the harvest begins to come, I want you to bring the first part to the house of God. And so we, we struggle because we didn't grow up on farms, most of us. Some of you did, but a lot of us did not. But even if we didn't grow up on a farm and we didn't have a garden or anything like that, we know that even if I go out and plant tomatoes, that the entire harvest of tomatoes, it will not all come in at the same time. The harvest will come in at different times. And so the point is, is that when the first part of the harvest comes in, God's saying, don't wait until you see the whole harvest. When the first part of the harvest comes, I want you to bring it then. Why? Because that is an act of faith and that is confidence in God, God's ability to bring in the rest of the harvest. We want to wait like Cain did. Remember last week? Cain waited until everything was in and then decided if he had enough to bring it. God's not interested in that kind of, uh, uh, in, in you and I bringing that to him. He wants us to trust us on the, uh, trust him on the front side, not on the back side. And something powerful happens whenever we trust God on the front side. One of the things that God would do for Israel, uh, what, what would happen in their hearts is by doing this, they were acknowledging that God was the giver of everything they had. When you bring God the first, you're acknowledging he's the giver of everything that you have. We're not going to wait and see what the harvest looks like. We're going to bring him the first fruits. Now, I'm going to look at Malachi chapter 3 again because I really want you guys to get this. When we, when we give God the first, we are now trusting God for the rest. And, and we're, we're, we're staking a claim in God will provide. How many know God as provider? Anybody know God as provider? All right? And, and God wants to come through in this area in your life. He really does. He wants to meet you there. But Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, we see five blessings. I want to read the text and then quickly give you the five blessings. And then we're going to look at a, a, a different story. But it says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So five blessings that we see out of Malachi chapter 3. You may want to jot these down. They won't be on the screen for you, but I want you to get these. Number one was an open heaven, okay, an open heaven. An open heaven means that we are able to see what God has made available for us. The first person to bring the tithe to God was Abraham. And he brought the tithe to the king of Salem, who was also the high priest. His name was Melchizedek. When you read the story, this is 400 years before the law. Abraham brings the tithe. 
And when he brought the tithe, the first fruits of what his, his income was, when he brought it, the Bible says the next thing that happened was Abraham had a vision. So what, what, what's that showing us? The moment he obeyed God in this and brought the tithe to Melchizedek, he now had a vision. Why? Because the heavens opened up immediately. A lot of us don't understand that God does things for the tither that he will not do for anyone else. That the tither is a covenant, that, that when I bring the tithe, it is a covenant connect. There's a lot of things we're praying about that we wouldn't have to pray about if we would just tithe. You know why we have to pray about a lot of things? It's because we are disobedient in all these areas, and now we got to spend all of our time praying about it. But God said, I would just take care of that if you would be a tither. Like this blessing would come upon you. So he said, an open heaven, so God would give you a glimpse of things to come. Secondly was blessing, so much blessing. Um, I, I would call it perpetual blessing. This is, this is the word that has the idea of benediction. Um, in other words, God will start completing some things that he has started in your life. Anybody have some areas in your life that you would love some closure to? Like where it, it, God has began a good work, but you're like, I'm ready for him to finish that good work. And that's a blessing that comes on the tither. The third, and this is one of my favorite parts of this, is God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now, there is... There's a level of me rebuking the devil. There's a level of you rebuking the devil. But how many know there's another level when God says, I'll rebuke the devil. I'll rebuke the devourer. God's saying, I'll stand between you and whatever's eating up your blessing and tell it to stop it. That's enough. So it, it, it's a powerful concept that automatically takes place in the life of, of a tither. The fourth blessing we see in Malachi 3 is fertile ground. Jesus talked, we did a whole series on rooted and on good ground. Um, and, and the tither is always good ground. That is good ground. The tithe actually protects all other seeds that you are sowing. I don't have time to go into that. But, but it actually waters every other seed in your life. And the fifth and final blessing is unhindered fruit. God wants us not only to produce fruit, but he wants us to produce much fruit. Jesus taught that in John's gospel, chapter 15. He talked about the fact that he wanted us to produce a ton of fruit, that he wanted to multiply our fruitfulness. Now, in Joshua chapter 6 is where I'm going to go, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here. In Joshua chapter 6, there is a story that we read about, uh, we were taught about it even in Sunday, Sunday school. Growing up, how many went to Sunday school growing up? Like I, I grew up going to Sunday school and, and I remember this story and, and sometimes the teachers would make it fun uh, because this is when God brought them out, but now it was time for them to possess the land. And so they were going to start by defeating a city called Jericho. Anybody remember Jericho? Jericho was this um, big city that had these giant walls, walls so big that they had chariot races on the top of the walls. So we, we understand it was a big, big city, and it's what we would call a first fruit city. Um, and if you look at Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 19, this is going to be the first city of many that they're going to go in, wipe it out, and take the territory. But let's look at what God said. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. 
except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the, the army to shout, for the Lord had given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Now that scripture, we read right past it, very important. God says, all that's in this city is going to be devoted to me. Now, the reason that's important is because when you would defeat a city, the normal protocol was is that you would take all the spoil, which meant the gold, the silver, the iron, anything valuable would now be yours. But God said, not so. This is a first fruit city. I don't want you to touch any of it. I don't want you to take any of it. It's all mine. It's all devoted to me. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Here we go again. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and you'll bring trouble on it. And the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So you got to get this. There's several cities they're going to take over, but this is the first, and this is one of the biggest cities. And so we know that the things in the city were extremely valuable. Lots of silver, lots of gold, walls big enough for the chariot. Like there was money there. When we look at Jericho, it would be like, for us thinking about New York City compared to the second city that they were going to go in and take over was Ai. Everybody say Ai. All right? So at Jericho, they do what God says. They shout. They march. They shout. The walls fall. And they celebrate. They're pumped up. We defeated this massive city that would be like New York. And now we're getting ready to face Ai, which is about the size of white sulfur. All right, that's kind of the difference. Um, you know, 8 million in New York, 2,500 here. You know, big difference. And, and they just beat the big city, but now they're getting ready to take on the smaller town. And so they're confident. They're excited. Um, and they go in, and something drastic takes place in the text. They go into this city overconfident, ready to do this, and they get whipped by the small place. The city of Ai, they, they lose. They lose the battle. And they don't really understand what happened. I mean, we defeated a real place, Jericho, and we've lost to this insignificant place that we thought we had with no problem. But it says in Joshua chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, here's Joshua. He says, Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Now, this is what it looks like when a leader is distraught. Joshua, I'm going to call him Pastor Joshua because he just came off this incredible victory, pumped up. I mean, they're overconfident about AI. We got this. You know, this is going to be easy. And, and the exact opposite takes place. 
And now Joshua is, he's struggling and he's talking to God about it. Like, it, you know, we should have just stayed like back on the other side. We should have never came this way. We shouldn't have done this. He's questioning everything. He's now lost his confidence. And I just want to ask, has anybody ever felt like that before? Like, God, I sang the songs. I went to church. I served. I even told Pastor Chad he done okay today. Like, why aren't you showing up? Why, why am I experiencing defeat? Why am I having to go through this? And that's what's happening with Joshua. But look at God's response back to him in verse 10 through 12. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen they have lied, and they have put them with their own possessions. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So Joshua, like a lot of leaders, pastors will do, will have a pity party. And God says, first off, Joshua, stand up. Secondly, Joshua, why are you laying on your face? Third, Israel has sinned. I, I love this because he's like, you need to understand, Joshua, I want you to stop whining. I want you to get up off of your face. Israel has sinned. Now go confront it. And like most leaders, we are a little hesitant to go confront some things. And, and I, I love this because a lot of us, how many struggle with confrontation sometimes? Anybody struggle? Come on, wave at me if you've ever struggled with confrontation. Some of you are like, no, I don't. I love it. Right? But, but they, this is what happened. He's like, Joshua, stop crying. They have sinned. Go deal with it. Go confront it. And I think that a lot of times we buy into the lie that confronting sin means that you lack love. That was worth you getting out of bed for. We think if we confront sin, that we somehow lack love. The opposite is actually, um, li listen, if, if I confront sin, that is love. See, we got, we got in the modern church, we got fluffy cloud love. It's fake. It's actually hate. Because if you can't confront sin, we've, we, we've bought in to love is fluffy and kind and just nice and sweet all the time. And that's cool if, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. But if I got sin in my life, if you would not confront me, guess what? That's sin. If you got sin in your life and I refuse to confront you and I know about it, that, that's wrong. That's not love. That is hate. I'm gonna, I, I may just preach this for a little while. Because we have bought in to this concept that to confront wrongdoing lacks grace or, or lacks love. That couldn't be further from the truth. If I refuse to confront sin, I actually hate that person. Especially if they're headed towards destruction. 
Somebody's got to be bold enough to say, hey, you may not want to keep going that way because what you're doing is going to bring destruction. That's what God told Joshua. What they're doing is going to bring destruction back on them. Now, I, I, I need to remind some people because I don't know what Jesus people are serving. Yes, he's full of love and grace, but he also went into church one day and flipped over every table. And, and we stopped there. We, we don't even read the part that he whipped them physically clean out of the temple. Why? Because they refused to change. What was he doing? He was loving them. Because if you don't change, guess what? You're headed for a disaster. And so he flipped over the tables, he confronted the sin, and that was love. So God tells Joshua, stop whining, Israel has sinned, now go confront it. Now if you turn to Joshua chapter 7, verses 16 through 26, for sake of time, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to pick out a couple of verses so that we can see what happened. Verse number 21 says, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. And then if you drop down to verse 25, Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day, and then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, or the Valley of Trouble, ever since. And so, the reason they went up against Ai and lost to this small place after defeating the big city of Jericho was because one man took of the devoted things. Not the whole nation. One man by the name of Achan, he saw the silver, he saw the gold, he saw the robes, and he thought, I can take this, I'll, I'll hide it in my tent, no one will know, but he had no clue that what he had done had set up the entire nation to lose a battle. And, and so God is telling Joshua, I want you to confront this. Now, a lot of you right now, you're thinking, well, pastor, you know, that's Old Testament. I'm so glad you said that. It is Old Testament. But there's a truth that we see play out even in, in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. I don't know what your Bible says in Acts 5. I know what mine says. Mine says that Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property that they had sold. This is after Jesus came, died, rose again. All right, this is new covenant. And they had committed a certain amount of the proceeds of the property they had sold to be given to the church. The Bible tells us that instead of giving what they had committed to give, they kept a portion back. And so when they came to the apostle Peter, Peter, y'all wouldn't call him loving, You wouldn't. You wouldn't say, Pastor Peter, you're a loving dude. But he was loving them. You know what he told them? He said, you have lied to us, and you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if this can happen today. That was New Covenant. We're New Covenant. The Bible says that Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. 
They died, and the apostles and the people there had to go out. Can you imagine if we had tithe and offering? And maybe one day we, we, we brought the tithe, but it was 8%, and we called it tithe. And then I got up and said, you lied to the Holy Ghost, and then you dropped dead. That was a New Testament church. That was after the resurrection of Jesus. That happened. And so I tell you that because of what Achan did in the Old Testament when he kept part of the devoted things because of what he did, his comrades were killed. And I think a lot of times we lack accountability. We don't want anybody to truly pastor us. We live in a generation now that thinks that they get to pastor their pastors. Oh my goodness. I got to preach this. We don't want anybody to pastor us. We don't want anybody to tell us we're wrong. We don't want anybody to tell us we need to fix that. And, and the problem is we lack accountability and the result is we become self-serving. And so what we want and how we feel becomes more important than what God said and the leaders God gave us ha has said. And so, listen to me. I love you, but I don't care how you feel. If your feelings violate what God has said, you got to get out of your feelings and step into faith if you're going to have the, the, the blessing on your life. I don't know why in the world. We, 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 we got a modern church that's completely afraid to pastor anyone. And the reason is because nobody wants pastored unless it's, oh, baby, you're great, you're awesome, we just love you, we just celebrate you. But we need some people that can call us out when we're not living up to the standard, not drop the bar because we got a bunch of people that refuse to rise to that level. Come on, somebody, if you're going to praise him, don't patty cake. We need some people that will say, you know what, we got some growing to do. See, it's easy for me because I grew up in a church that they didn't say you had prayed through until they were through. They didn't say, Chad, are you done? It, matter of fact, if I tried to leave and they weren't done, they, they would grab me by the, the back of the pull me right back down and say, you're not done yet. Can you imagine me doing that in this church? You know what he did to me? And that's why our Christianity has become surface and messages on giving many times are not received. Truth is, most people don't want to be pastored. Most people don't want to be told, you need to grow in this area. You know what? I didn't like a lot of the people that, were, that was pastoring me and, and telling me I needed to grow in an area. But you know what? Looking back, I didn't like it when it was happening. But I thank God for it because I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit today without some of those people saying, you got to change that, son. You got to fix that. So that's what, what Joshua had to do. He had to go and confront it. And I want you to know that what you do as an individual always affects more than you. One man took of the devoted things and the whole nation lost. I wonder what would happen if we, if we felt that and believed that 
and realize that our attitudes and the way we look at giving or tithing or serving or doing what God has called us to do, that my obedience actually affects you. My disobedience actually affects you. I think some churches are trying to operate when it comes to tithing. If we're talking about tithes and offerings, I think they're trying to operate. Let's just say, for instance, you got 20% of the people that actually tithe. I'm not saying that's what we have. I have no idea exactly. We have a large percentage. And I believe that's part of the reason why we have an open heaven. But I think some churches are trying to operate as a whole under a 20% open heaven. What would happen if 100% of the people were tithing? Could it be that your disobedience is keeping someone else from receiving their miracle? I'm preaching better than your amening. Could it be that sometimes we're only getting a certain level of blessing because we only have a certain level of obedience? That the proportion of the heavens open is in proportion to our obedience and our willingness to do what God has called us to do. So why does God want us to be first fruit givers? There's three main reasons. Number one, it's an act of thanksgiving. Every time I bring the tithe, it's an act of thanksgiving. I'm acknowledging that God has given me everything that I have. When Moses was giving one of his last four speeches before he transitioned out of leadership and Joshua would step in, he spoke to the children of Israel and he says, I won't read all of this, but a couple of things I want you to get out of Deuteronomy 26. He says, when you go into the land the Lord your God is giving you as your own, Moses said, you must take some of the first harvest of crops that grow from the land to the designated place of worship. All right? So he's telling them, don't forget to do this. Then he goes on to say, say to the priest, today I declare before the Lord your God that I have come into the land the Lord God promised our ancestors that he would give us. The priest will take your basket, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall announce before the Lord your God, my father went down to Egypt with only a few people, but they became a large nation there. But the Egyptians were cruel to us, making us suffer. So we prayed to the Lord, and when he saw our trouble, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his great power and strength. Then he brought us to this place and gave us this fertile land. Now I bring part of the first harvest from this land that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and foreigners among you should rejoice because the Lord your God has given good things to you and to your family. So every time I bring the tithe and the first fruits, I am remembering what God has done for me. He literally says, when you bring it, he said, remind yourselves and remind your children that you were once slaves, but it was God who delivered you and brought you out. Every time you bring it, you are reminding God of the prayers that he has answered. Every time you bring it, you would have nothing without God intervening in your life. Every time you bring it, you remind yourself, my marriage would have failed had God not been on my side. Where would my kids be had God not been on my side? Every time we bring the tithe, it is an act of thanksgiving, remembering what all God has done for us. I wonder if there's anybody in the place today that could acknowledge God. 
God has been good to you and done some amazing things in your life. Every time you bring the tithe, it's an act of worship remembering who brought you out, who saved you, and who delivered you. It's an act of thanksgiving. Secondly, it's an act of faith. Tithing's faith. It's faith. I don't care if you make 100 bucks a year or 100 million. The tithe is 10% and first an act of faith. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It, it doesn't make sense that when we tithe that our money actually goes further like, how I many on paper, that don't make sense. But I could pass the microphone around, and I had a few people stop me between services just to tell me, Pastor, this works. This works. Like, I, I have seen. Sometimes even when I made less, I had more, Pastor. How is that? Because it's better to have 90% blessed than 100% cursed any day of the week. It doesn't make sense, but it's true. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. As the worship team comes back, the third and final takeaway, giving to God first is a sanctifying act. Money, again, is amoral. It's not good or bad. It's all about whose hands that it's in. On the other hand, we know that Jesus called it mammon. The apostle Paul called it filthy. On a different occasion, Jesus called it deceitful. Why, why did Jesus call it deceitful? Because money promises us stuff that only God can give. So how do I set myself free from that spirit, that whatever, that deceit? It's through the tithe. In, in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, it says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, which the tithe is holy unto the Lord, then the whole batch is holy. So God says, when, when you bring the tithe, he said, that's holy unto me, but what you don't understand is I actually sanctify the rest. I make the rest of it holy. It's no different, spiritually speaking, when Jesus um, died for us and got up on the third day, the Bible says he was the firstborn of many. That the one man's obedience, because of his obedience, we've all been made righteous. So tithing not only brings you into the blessing, it actually breaks the curse off of everything else you have. Some of the stories I've heard, I don't have time to tell you all the stories I've heard, but cars that should have broke down 100,000 miles ago. How, how many, sometimes the blessing is not a new toy Sometimes, like in the Old Testament, their shoes never worn it, never wore out in 40 years. Come on, that refrigerator, you've had it 22 years, and it still keeps the milk cold. Are y'all smiling underneath those masks? Like, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, there, there's a blessing that is attached to it. Tithing is a covenant connector. And, and I love the curse that we saw with Achan in that Old Testament uh, story of Jericho and Ai. The curse, there's a lot of teaching on curses that's downright goofy. Just goofy. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say Satan curses. And it doesn't tell us, you know, God's 
trying to curse people. It's not what it says. The curse is no different than what Achan did. God said, you're going to cause trouble to come upon you and everybody. You bring the curse on yourself, and to be cursed simply means that you're out from underneath the blessing. And the only way to get... The only way to get the blessing right, somebody needs to hear me, you need to repent. You need to repent. Make it right. I don't want this curse. I'm going to step back under where the oil is flowing. Go ahead and stand with me. Some of you can't clap because this one hurt. But if I'm going to remove the curse... I have to repent. I have to acknowledge I brought it on myself. Listen, I don't care what your mommy and daddy did or your grandparents. You don't have to live with whatever baggage they had. Anytime you're ready, you can break the curse of alcoholism and divorce and, and greed and all the stuff that you grew up in. You don't have to continue that. I'm so tired of talking about generational curses. I'm looking for some people that want to extend a generational blessing that their kids go further than they go, that they have more than you have. But I can't extend a generational blessing as long as I'm standing over here in a curse that I brought on myself. Did you get something out of the Word today? Come on, give God a praise right there. The Word of God will change us. It will change us. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? No one looking around for the next couple of moments. Just as the tithe will sanctify the rest of your money, the Bible says Jesus offered himself, his obedience, that when we put our trust in him, our faith in him, we believe he came, lived a sinless life, died in our place, and he rose from the grave. When we do that, we're acknowledging what he did by his act of obedience, it can make us righteous. But we have to admit where we are. So if you're in this place today and you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know him personally, and you say, Pastor, I, I need to be saved. I need to invite Jesus into my heart and into my life. I don't want to embarrass you, but if that is you today, would you say that's me, Pastor, by raising your hand and say, I need to be saved today. I want Jesus. Thank you for this hand here. God bless you. Thank you for this hand here. God bless you as well. Anyone else? One over here. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Say, that's me. Pastor, I, I need to be saved. Those watching online, we would love to pray with you and for you. We got chat hosts available. Let us know that you need Jesus. And right now, I want every voice lifted. I know of at least three hands in-house. Who knows how many will be online. But everybody lift your voice and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Change my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God a praise for those people. I don't want to just push past this. We're going to sing another song. But... Um, What's the number for if they just got saved? 304-396-0488. Text the word SAVED to that number. We would love to follow up with you, help you take your next step. We're not going to make you fill anything out and trade. Like, you may not want to touch me with all this sweat anyway. 
Uh, but if you'll text the word SAVE to that number one more time, 304-396-0488, we would love to help you take your next step. As the worship team comes to lead us in one more song, um, can we give God just the best praise we have today? Come on, thank Him for salvation today. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv give. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.